morning we're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, verse 12 to chapter 3 or the, the whole of chapter 3. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you, Rob. Please keep that passage open. Let's, um, let's pray again. Father God, we, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you give us insight and understanding that we would... Take it to heart. Please write your word upon our hearts by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how are you going this morning? If I asked you that uh, question, I wonder what you'd say. What sort of week have you had? Has it been, uh, has it been good, bad? On you know, a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is your sort of worst week of your life and 10 is your, the best week of your life, you might sort of think, what's, what's the number that comes to mind? Is it 6 or three or nine, 
I won't ask you to, uh, to show me, I'm tempted to, but maybe you're going great. Maybe you're struggling a bit. Maybe you're struggling big time. Maybe you're plotting. Maybe you're stressed, anxious, tired. Maybe relaxed, carefree, bored. I wonder if you, if you had to have one word to kind of capture and describe what, you know, how you are. I wonder what it would be. I wonder if anyone would use the word glorious. I suspect not, unless you're having a particularly good day. Although sometimes when I ask Don Inglis, how, how are you going? He, he might say, glorious. I wondered if he might say that this morning when I asked him, but um, I think he said good. So. Glorious. Well, I want to share with you this morning that we can actually live lives that are glorious, even through the ups and the downs of life. I'm not, uh, I haven't become a prosperity preacher or something. Um, but this happens as we encounter and reflect and respond to the glory of God. This passage says a lot about the glory of God, um, and we need to start by asking, well, what is the glory of God? I mean, if you wanted to see the glory of God, where would you go? What, what would you do? Maybe we'd think of God's glory as, uh, as his shining brightness, glowing in a cloud. Uh, many times in the Old Testament, we, they, uh, the people experienced or saw something of his glory in that way. So Exodus uh, chapter 16, verse 10 uh, says, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appear, appearing in the cloud. Or in Exodus 40, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Or Ezekiel 10 then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. And there are many other instances of the glory of God appearing in a cloud or a, or a bright light. So maybe if we, if we want to see the, God's glory, should we be praying for some sort of experience of his shining brilliance? Or maybe we would uh, look for the glory of God in creation. Uh, many of you would know, I mentioned before, I, I love hiking and I was uh, hiking last weekend, uh, getting out amongst God's creation. Here's a, a spot I went last weekend uh, in the Blue Mountains and God's creation can, can give you a sense of his power, of his majesty, his glory. Uh, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we do see something of of, of God's glory in creation. Where else might we get a sense of the glory of God? Many people have sought uh, to capture and express the glory of God in, in amazing buildings and you know, spectacular temples and church buildings. And we obviously don't go in for this uh, so much, um, <laughs> you'd have to say. I mean, the fairy lights are nice. <laughs> but you'd have to say some people do look for the glory of God in art and architecture and to, you know, that, that might convey something of that. Well, we know from the Bible that Moses saw and experienced something of God's glory when God spoke to him on Mount Sinai. When God gave him his law and gave it to the, the people of Israel. So we, uh, we, we read in, uh, in Exodus 34... When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, 
He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. So the old covenant law of Moses came, it came with something of God's glory as God spoke his word to his people. And yet Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 3 that the new covenant of Jesus is so much greater and more glorious than the law of Moses. That's something that, that you and I can know and can experience ourselves. Now, through this passage, Paul highlights uh, and contrasts the, the, the difference between the old and the new. And his big idea is that if, if the old covenant had glory, well, the new covenant has so much more glory. Uh, under the old, glory came with the law of Moses, but it was transitory, says verse 7. And verse 11, it was transitory. And verse 13 says it was passing away. Whereas the new covenant, it lasts, says verse 11. It, it brings greater glory, a glory that doesn't pass away, but in fact increases, says verse 18. There's a contrast also with the outcomes of both covenants. The outcome of the old, because of sin, is condemnation and death. The outcome of the new, because of, of God and his grace, is righteousness and life new things are not always better than old things but it's certainly the case here the old covenant was a covenant of the letter it came with rules it came with laws regulations written on stone tablets that is it was external to God's people you could look at it and you could say there is the law it's there but it was external and therefore it failed to change people. It failed to motivate them to obey the law. Instead, it, it condemned them as it pointed out their sin, their failure to obey. It's like when you go to a park or to the beach and you see one of those, what I call, no fun signs. You know, the, all the things you can't do here. No dogs, no ball games, no skateboards, no four-wheel drive, no motorbikes, no fishing, no... No trumpets. But basically, they might as well say no breathing. This is the no fun sign. And the sign is external to you. It doesn't actually motivate you to want to keep the laws. I mean, the threat of a hefty fine for playing your trumpet, that might motivate you. But it doesn't change your heart. The old covenant law was like that. It was external. It was engraved on stone tablets. In contrast, the new covenant comes with the Spirit of God as he works within us, as he writes his law on our hearts. And this was always God's plan. See, back in the time of Jeremiah, God promised that, that one day he would do this. He said, Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
God says he will write his law on the hearts of his people. Uh, Similarly, Ezekiel 36, he, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So under the the new covenant, God writes his law in our hearts. He moves us to want to follow his decrees. The new covenant is so much greater, so much more glorious than the old. Written not in letters on stone, but written by the spirit on our hearts. And God's glory here is seen in, in a way that's not hidden. It's revealed. The contrast there is under the old covenant, the glory of God that was reflected in Moses' face was, was veiled as it passed away, says verse 12. The glory didn't last and even, even what was there was veiled as it passed. Under the new covenant, there is no veil. The, the veil's been removed. Verse 15 says, Without Christ, a veil covers people's hearts, obscuring the truth, keeping them from seeing the glory of God. But when they turn to Christ, he removes the veil. Verse 16, he reveals the truth of God. He brings life, righteousness, freedom. Reveals the unfading glory of God. As we turn to Christ, the Spirit of God takes God's law and writes it on our hearts. And that brings a glorious transformation. So being a Christian, it means having the word of the new covenant the gospel of Jesus written on your heart. The Spirit lifts the veil so that we see Jesus clearly. And as you see Jesus clearly, you see the glory of God. See, where ultimately, where do you see the glory of God? It's not in a shiny, glowing experience. It's not in a spectacular building. It's not even in God's amazing creation. You see the glory of God in the one who is the perfect image, the perfect representation of God. That is in Jesus. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of God is seen in Jesus, in the the fullness of his grace and truth. Similarly, in uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The glory of God is seen perfectly in Jesus. But his glory doesn't doesn't stop there. Notice verse 18, it says, verse 18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's amazing. God's people are being transformed by the Spirit of God to become more like Jesus. What an amazing privilege. As we turn to the Lord and and accept Jesus as Lord, that the Spirit of God lifts the veil. The Spirit of God writes the law of God on our hearts, moves us to to want to keep it, to obey it, and, and changes us to do that more and more, to be transformed into his likeness. 
Now, that's a, that's a lifelong process. And, and sometimes change may be slow. But what a privilege that God is at work in us by his spirit. That is glorious. And you might think, well, how does that, how exactly does that happen? How does the spirit change us? Well, firstly, fundamentally, it's, it's through God lifting the spiritual veil, so to speak, or, or to change the metaphor, it's, it, it's God turning the lights on so that we, we see, we understand, we, we accept Jesus as Lord. You might have seen that happen in, in other people. You may have experienced it yourself where, you know, just sometimes quite, sometimes quite suddenly it, it just seems to make sense. The veil's been lifted. Secondly, this change happens through, it happens through knowledge. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says that you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge of its image, in the image of its creator. That is, we're, we're renewed as we grow in knowing and understanding how God wants us to live. Thirdly, this transformation, it often comes through suffering. And you might be feeling particularly glorious this morning. Maybe uh, you are just doing it really tough at the moment. I want to say take heart. Take heart that God can use that to renew you, to grow you, to change you in the image of Christ. Romans 8 says that for those who belong to Christ, we have the spirit of Christ and God works in, in all things, even through difficulties for, for the good end not of making everything sweet, but the good end of conforming us to the likeness of his Son. God is doing that. The Spirit changes and transforms God's people to make them more like Jesus. And I have seen that. I continue to see that in, in the lives of many of you. I've seen that the veil lifted as it, you come to understand that Jesus is Lord that you need a, a change of who's in charge of your life, that you hand over your life to him, with him as, as Lord and Saviour. I've seen the Spirit of God convict people of their sin, of, to lead them to repent, to change, to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. I've seen the Spirit open eyes to see clearly what matters and, and what doesn't and, and to, to bring about a change in, in how you live. To live not for wealth and career and possessions, but to, to change priorities, to change your life, to become more like Jesus. That's a glorious thing. There is the reflected glory of God. There is Christ Jesus reflected in the lives of his followers. That's the glorious new covenant life that God calls us to. And that's also the, the glorious new covenant ministry that God calls us to. See, at the beginning of uh, chapter 3, Paul talks about letters of recommendation. Uh, I often get asked to write um, letters, you know, reference letters for people. Um, some of you have asked me to write such letters. You know the sort of letter, uh, Dear Sir, Madam, I've known Fred for six years, during which time he's been an outstanding member of our church and Fred is the most wonderful person you will ever meet and I'm sure that employing him will be the best thing that you've ever done. <laughs> Yours not so sincerely, John O. Or, or, or something like that. I'll, I'll do a better job if you ask me for one. That, but. <laughs> We're familiar with this idea of reference letters and it seems that it was common practice 
for travelling speakers in Corinth to, to carry these sorts of letters of recommendation. And questions were being asked in Corinth about Paul and his credentials. You know, where's his letters of recommendation? Paul engages with this and he says, verse 2, you show that you are a letter, sorry, that's verse 3, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. They are his letter. Christ has written has written them, the Corinthians, written their lives by his spirit. They themselves are the testimony to the work of God through Paul's ministry. So Paul's not interested in, in giving them letters saying how great he is. Instead, Paul points to, to God and how great he is. What an amazing thing God has done in their lives. It's as if he says, you, you want proof that I'm the real deal? Well, just look at your own lives and see what God has done in you through me. Now, does that mean that Paul is some, you know, something pretty special to be used by God in that? No. Verse 5, he says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. God is the source of Paul's competence. And as for Paul, so for us. If you have turned to Christ, if, then God is gloriously working in you by his spirit to make you more like Jesus bit by bit. And he's also gloriously working through you, making you competent as a servant of the new covenant. Paul uses a powerful illustration to, uh, of how this works, the end of chapter 2. You might have noticed I'm kind of working backwards through the passage today. Um, end of chapter 2, he talks about a triumphal procession. Now, those in, in first century uh, Corinth, would have, they would have been very familiar with a, a Roman triumphal procession. Here's an artist's um, uh, impression of it. We've got a, a conquering army returns from battle and, and they hold a procession, a parade, and, and, and they glory in their victory. You could kind of think of it as an ancient equivalent of a ticket tape parade, you know, where the, the Olympic team comes back from the Olympics and they have a parade down you know, the main street. And this, uh, this Roman triumphal procession would parade the, the general at the centre of the procession and, and they parade the prisoners, perhaps en route to be being executed. And they parade the, the Roman citizens who'd been liberated from their enemies and they parade the soldiers who were victorious. But amongst this parade were some people who Paul particularly highlights here. Amongst the parade there would be incense bearers and their job was to, to spread large amounts of smelly, fragrant smoke. Maybe it's the kind of ancient equivalent of a smoke machine. And Paul says, that's what we are. We're the incense bearers. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in, as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're caught up in, in Christ's triumphal procession. He's the victorious king. And we're the guys swinging the buckets of smoking incense. And what is it that we're spreading everywhere? The knowledge of him. And as we spread that, that message, that knowledge, it has different impacts on different people. I guess just as the, the incense would have had in the parade. For some people, it's, it's the fragrance that brings life 
as they come to Jesus and find liberation, find freedom, forgiveness, peace, hope. For others, it's the stench of death as it pronounces judgment, condemnation for their enmity toward God. This ministry of of spreading the knowledge of Christ, it has a weighty impact. It's a great analogy, I think, for for gospel ministry. See, the the, the Corinthians were getting all caught up in chasing after impressive leaders and, you know, who was who was a really good speaker and who was really good at this and that. And and they were raising questions about Paul's credentials and his suitability. And because of that, he he does have to defend himself. But he does that not by saying how great he is, but by saying how great God is and how God uses him as his servant. And the the same is true for us if we belong to Christ. See, who are we in the parade? We're not the awesome special force combat soldiers who take down the enemies. We're the dudes swinging the incense. And, you know, it's not, it's not a difficult or impressive job. Pretty much anyone can do it. Anyone can spread the knowledge of God. And the power comes not from us. The power comes from the message, from the aroma, from the knowledge of God. As God works through us to minister by his spirit in the lives of others, as he writes the word of the gospel in their hearts. He does that in all sorts of ways. I mean, he does it when we speak of Christ to someone or explain why we follow Jesus. He does it as a a parent teaches their child about Christ or as as we invite a, a friend, neighbor, family member to an event like the Mark drama, Six Days Away, shameless plug. Or as we give them a gospel or a book, as we, as we answer questions about our faith in Christ, as we encourage someone with a truth from God's word, as we spread the knowledge of God, God works by his spirit. What is God in his glory doing in this world? Where do we expect to see the glory of God? We see it as he works by his spirit to write his word on people's hearts. And as they turn to Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour, he begins to transform them into the glorious likeness of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. That's what God is doing in this world and that's what he wants to do in your life and mine. So quickly, by way of implication, firstly and most importantly... Have you turned to the Lord? Has the veil been taken away? Maybe, maybe you're thinking today, maybe God is at work in you. Maybe this is making sense and you see, well, Jesus is Lord. If that's the case, don't resist God. Turn to him. Ask him to forgive you. Hand over control of your life to him. And discover the life and freedom and forgiveness that he brings. Secondly, keep looking to Christ. Or in the words of Paul here, contemplate, reflect the Lord's glory. Look to Jesus and continue to be transformed into his likeness. That is an amazing thing, that God in his grace, by his spirit, is transforming us with with ever-increasing glory as we look to Jesus. In a year from now, 
I want to be more like Jesus than I am now. In five years, in 10 years, in 30 years should the Lord give me. I want to become more like Jesus and I want that for you too. More importantly than what I want, God wants that for you and for me. And he's graciously bringing that about by the work of his spirit. So put yourself in a position where where you're open to him doing that. Keep looking to Christ. Read his word. Reflect on his character, on his goodness, on his glory and, and see God transform you. Thirdly and finally, join the parade. If you've been given the knowledge of God, then start spreading it around. Swing the smoking incense. Not everyone will love you for it. Uh, Some people, for them, it'll be an announcement of their death and judgment. But others, it will be the aroma that brings life. We don't know who will be who. And who responds which way? Well, that's not up to us. That's up to God. Our job is to spread the word, to share the aroma of the knowledge of God. So join the parade and spread the word. To return to my first question, how are you? Are you glorious? Well, in the end, in and of yourself, perhaps not, but Jesus is glorious. He's the fullness of the goodness of God, full of grace and truth. And as we look to him, we reflect his glory. We're transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory by his spirit. And as we join the parade as servants of the new covenant, spreading the knowledge of God to others, we see God, the spirit, transforming the hearts of his people. What an awesome privilege that is. So turn to the Lord, keep looking to him, and join the parade. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Our Lord God and gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your grace in Jesus. Lord, we know that in and of ourselves we are not sufficient or competent to even even appear before you, let alone to be your children, to be your servants. But Father, we thank you that you have shown us your glory in Jesus and have called us to turn to him, to find forgiveness and freedom in him, and to reflect his glory as we're transformed into his image. Father, please continue that good work in us to make us more like Jesus through the ups and the downs of life. Please use us as your servants to spread the knowledge of you to others. Give us boldness, Courage, confidence in you and the glorious power of your gospel. And Father, please show your glory as you save and transform many people by your grace. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.